Welcome to issue 66 of Critical Encounters, a podcast about Marvel Champions, a living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. Here, we take a good look at that most critical piece of the game, the encounter sets. We'll discuss those poorly understood characters, unfairly labeled villains, and their various plans to shape humanity and benefit the planet, as well as those so-called heroes intent on thwarting them. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel. And tonight, I am joined by Steve. Why, hello there. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Yourself? Fantabulous. And we're also joined with Mike. How are you? I am good, sir. Glad to be here. All right. Great, great. Uh, hey, Mustafa, what's on your mind tonight? Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, sorry. Sorry. We're not doing that. We've got a long one tonight. I'm looking at these show notes. Moose, back in the portal with you. So, Mike, you said this was going to be a, a longer issue tonight. Why is that? What's happening? Well, apparently, Steve did a whole bunch of work researching one Armin Zola, the biofanatic. Fantastic. Is this true, Steve? Did you do that? This is true. I, uh, I felt compelled to <laughs> go learn all about the biofanatic Armin Zola. Well, I got to tell you, I, I would do anything for my Zola. Me too. <laughs> Z-O-L-A. Teaser! Okay. <laughs> so, um, well, first off, Steve, thanks for doing all that work. Um, yeah, my pleasure. This is, this is going to be very exciting. This is a pretty important character. Yes, this is our fourth villain in the Rise of Red Skull campaign box. So he's our penultimate before we get to Red Skull himself. Mm. T- typically fairly difficult scenario, right? I think it's a fun. But Zola's set has 31 cards, 16 by title. And um, to this issue, we're going to talk about Zola's history and then his primary cards like we do with all our villains. We'll talk villains and main schemes. And then in uh, part two, we'll look at the rest of his cards. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, the floor is yours. Good, sir. Take it away, Steve. So here we go. So Zola, he is born and raised in the Weisshorn Mountains of Switzerland in the early part of the 20th century. Okay. He is a child prodigy. He excels at all areas of science. He goes to the best schools in Europe. He is a classic villain genius. Love okay. him already. Right. Okay, so he is credited as being the first genetic engineer in history. I don't know who's crediting him that, oh. but that's what I read. So he's credited. He's the first real genetic engineer. Self-proclaimed, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's like Marvel has declared this or what. But all his work is actually based on papers that he discovered Belonging to the Deviants. Hmm. Who are the Deviants, you ask? Who are, Who are the Deviants? There we go. <laughs> nice work, right? So the Deviants <laughs> are a... They're a strain of Homo erectus that are mutated by the Celestials on Earth. So we know the Celestials are like these super powerful creatures, right, that like shape the cosmos. We see... Nowhere is the skull of a celestial, right? So really powerful beings that mutate these creatures on Earth into the deviant race. And they're a race with now destabilized DNA, and they show various mutations. Mm. Some other celestials create the Eternals, such as Apocryphus, the last of the Earth Eternals. (laughs) And Mustafa. And Mustafa. (laughs) Other celestials... Mm create the latent gene 
in man that would allow for the mutants later in humans evolution and i mean like the x-men mutants later in humans evolution oh wow okay the deviants however they evolve far faster than humans do and by 20,000 bce they had built cities above and below ground they've developed genetic engineering and by 18,000 bce they control the planet like completely but they're they're like at odds with each other and with the eternals so these creatures lived you know way 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 back and they wrote papers on paper uh, yeah i mean papers and quotes i don't know if sure. it's okay. um, right exactly what it's on zola finds this information and he uses that to augment his own knowledge he also receives aid from somebody called theodor uh, who's presumably an inhuman like miss marvel is an inhuman uh, he's extremely gifted at genetic engineering cloning mutating others and it's this fader who gives the high evolutionary the genetic information that he needs to perform his experiments such as making scarlet witch and quicksilver and all the stuff we talked about when we did scarlet witch what does it mean to be inhuman uh, an inhuman is a branch of humanity now that has a mutation when they interact with a Terrigen crystal or Terrigen fog, and they gain superpowers like Miss Marvel um, okay. can stretch because of that. Um, who's the dog? Lockjaw the dog. Lockjaw. Oh. Yeah, Medusa, Black Bolt. These are all human. Uh, these are all inhuman superheroes. They were created. I want to say. I want to say it was the Kree. Yes, the Kree have, are involved in it, but apparently the Celestials are involved in it in some way as well. Yeah, like I, I, it feels like the the Inhumans were a, another branch of experimentation, kind of a second-generation experimentation. Maybe not by the Prime Movers, if I'm remembering. So Zola has all this... He, he, he's, he's getting help from all these different sources. So with all this powerful ancient knowledge and his own gifts, he decides to use it for the good of humanity. Huh? What? what? Wrong. Wrong. He does not. Oh, no. Nope. You know what he does? He joins the Nazis. Oh, of course. Yeah, and he works with Hitlers to assure the victory of the master race. Okay, I'm not going to cheer that. No. So you know how we normally try to find like that thing that we can relate to? <laughs> not happening here. Okay. 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 No, this guy's a villain through and through. There, there's no excuse for him. So he he does end up working with the Nazis. He ends up working with Baron Heinrich Zemo. And all sorts of various experiments, including one where he captures some of Captain America's DNA and then makes his own super soldier, the Ubermensch. Of course, it's the Ubermensch. Ubermensch. All right. So some point around here, we're in World War II time period. Some point around here, he creates a process where he can project someone's mind into a cloned body. Mm. So what does he do? He talks to Hitler and says, hey, look at this thing I can do. So he makes a bunch of clones for Hitler. And then when Hitler's going to die, he ends up actually moving Hitler's mind from one body into a clone. And in this Marvel universe, Hitler escapes because he's really in one of his own clones. And he ends up taking on the moniker the hate monger. And he ends up terrorizing humanity for decades after the end of World War II. And nobody knows that this hate monger guy is actually a Hitler clone. Not, not real pleasant. Okay. During this time, he also figures out a way to move his own mind into a robotic body, which is what we see, like, in his art, okay? 
Mm-hmm. Up until this point, he's kind of like a regular person, although he himself is kind of misshapen. He's very short. They call him a dwarf in a few issues. He doesn't like his own body, which is why he's doing the genetic engineering and he becomes a master of robotics. He moves his own mind into this robot. See, now that's the kind of thing we could normally empathize and relate to if he weren't a Nazi. Right, right. Yeah. So this robotic body has a projected screen where his face is. And in later years, it becomes a holographic image as technology improves. And he's got at the top, if you look at his art, at the top, he has this weird box thing that sticks up where his head should be. And this is his ESP box that can retract down into his main form if he needs to, or can go back up. And he uses this ESP box to control the mutates that he ends up making. Mm. So it's a little mind control box. Mm-hmm. So right at this time, after he's moved himself into his robot body, Nazi Germany is crumbling and Hydra is on the rise. And Zola gets an offer from Red Skull and Zemo to join as a member of Hydra. And he does so. And they sort of, the three of them, uh, abandon the Nazi party and they go form Hydra and they they leave. And from here on out, Zola is pretty much linked to Hydra the, the rest of his life, the rest of his career. Everything I've talked about is all learned in flashback issues you know, when the more modern writing that takes you back to learn about his backstory, because kind of like they did with a lot of villains, they give you a villain, but there's no explanation for who he is early. And Zola's one of these types. Uh, yeah. We we first get to see Zola without any of this backstory in Captain America number 208 in April of 1968. So he has been around a while. Okay. So at this point, we don't. Like, if you're reading his first issue, you don't know any of the previous stuff. We just get to meet him as he encounters Captain America in the jungles of South America while Captain America and a woman, Donna Marie, and Falcon are off on some other tangential mission that has nothing to do with Zola. And there we meet his this mutate creation that he calls Doughboy. <laughs> <laughs> He's not as cute as the Pillsbury version, uh, but he is kind of made of the same material. <laughs> Doughboy is just this massive, quivering mess of biomass. It, he looks like raw pizza dough that is just this huge, huge lump of it. But Doughboy can change his shape. He can, he can, you know, he's amorphous, so he can be become whatever he wants to become. So he can like he can have like little arms reach out. He can form chairs out of himself. He can even fly. And he's he's Doughboy is so big that when Captain America and Zola meet, they actually go inside of Doughboy like a flying saucer type of thing. Doughboy can control his the density of his material so that he can make parts of himself transparent like a window. And they fly off to Zola's castle together. And Doughboy, like, makes little chairs come up out of his mass. And and this is all controlled by Zola. Zola's using his ESP box to force Doughboy to do these sorts of things. It's really rather odd. That that sounds bizarre. Yeah. It's it's weird. He can also, Doughboy can also make other beings pop out of him. So he can squeeze so much of his mass and then, like, disconnect it. It's a giant zit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's about as disgusting. So he does this. <laughs> Zola makes Primus, one of the most 
sophisticated creations of Zola at this point. And Primus is a human-shaped version that like can be sucked into Doughboy or pulled out of Doughboy. And he ends up taking on some human qualities. Primus ends up liking this Donna character. And Zola's like, no, you know, you're not a human. You're this thing I made. And, and, and eventually, Primus, like any good creation from a mad scientist, eventually turns on his master and goes after Zola. Well, I should hope so. Yeah. Mutates. We still, have, we still haven't really seen his mutates. These are like, I don't know, these are his bio creations. They're different than the mutates we have in the game. Eventually, we get to see his mutates. Zola's around a long time, so he's lots of stories. Eventually, in one of his stories, he ends up in a place called Dimension Z. Z. Dimension Z, which he rules for a long while. For our uh, metric brothers and sisters. For our met- yeah. Uh, <laughs> in, Dim- in Dimension Z, Zola is the king. He takes control. He creates some different things. But in Dimension Z, I'm going to say it like that, uh, time moves differently. So Zola has lots and lots of time in Dimension Z to do what he wants. Uh, while time is passing slower on Earth. So while he's there, he uses his genetic engineering, he alters soldiers, and he makes his all the mutates that we understand from the game with the intent of conquering Earth with them. But Captain America sort of like ruins that plan. He comes into Dimension Z. Uh, he, he, you know, he thwarts Zola. He even steals Zola's infant son. What? Oh. Yeah, he steals away that, Zola's infant son. Wait, isn't he a robot? Hey, that's what the story says. So, <laughs> the infant son might actually be a genetically engineered mutate that Zola creates in his own image, that sort of thing. Right. Captain America and Sharon Carter raise the baby as their own. They name him Ian Rogers. He's also known as Nomad, and they turn him into a, a sickening hero. So That's gross. Yeah. So, they have a mutate as a hero. Or... Yes. Okay. And we see Nomad and we see Dimension Z way back in issue 31 when Daniel and I talk in our Hydra Rising series um, about Hydra in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some, there's a lot of neat tie-ins there and things. So is he, when he's in Dimension Z, is he still acting on behalf of Hydra? Yes. Okay. Uh, some of the stuff I read, there are other members of Hydra there. Um, Zemo is like an Iron Man version, and there's a Captain Hydra, and it's like Secret Empire is where we see a lot of this. But yeah, he's still working with Hydra there. And we talk a little bit about that, like I said, back in issue 31, 32, um, some of that stuff. Uh, so while Zola's there, though, he makes all his mutates, uh, his bio uh, servants. You know, all the kinds of stuff. But he also makes a bunch of hyper-mutates, which would be really cool to have in the game. These guys are called the Unvengers instead of the Avengers. I get it. I get it. Okay, okay. So he's got Captain (laughs) Zolandia, because he calls this this land Zolandia. Of course he does. Because, you know, he's not too creative. Um, There's a Zola Iron Man version. There's a Zola Hulk. And there's a Zola Thor. And I, a great little thing, the Zola Thor has all these nails that stick out of him. Because, you know, like... What? Yeah. because well, Mjolnir. Mjolnir is a hammer, so Zola Thor has nails. Oh. So... I hope Zola Thor never meets real Thor. Yeah, isn't, isn't that just like putting a target on your face? I guess. I don't know. It looks cool. The art's interesting, <laughs> but... Um, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. That's most of 
we what we need to know for Zola. But Zola has some powers and some yeah, abilities. What can this guy do? Right. So super genius, expert in biochemical science. He's a, a genetic engineer. He's also a robotics expert. Basically, any scientific something, he can make it. He has this ESP box that I mentioned before that goes up and down. And he can use that to mental, mentally control his creations. He can also, in some forms, use it to have a limited mind control over others. He can shoot like mind rays, and he can use it to mind transfers. I was going to ask you about the mind control thing. Because, like, yeah, I mean, if he's just ESPing with his mutates, that's one thing. But if he can also turn it on a hero or something, that's even better. Perhaps it might stun or confuse them. Oh, cool. it might. Yeah. Okay. But really his main power and his main thing that you have to worry about is basically his army of created lackeys, his androids, his bioservants, and the fact that he can transfer his mind into any of one of these creations from robot to robot or from his robot to a, a mutate and back into a clone, that sort of thing. So he has a form of immortality. Um, if he has enough time, he can basically just move from body to body. So it sounds like he's much higher tech than he was portrayed as in the movies. Right. In the movies, we see him as a scientist helping Red Skull. And then... He's basically being run off 8-track. Yeah, and then eventually, yeah, at the end end of the war, he ends up in a computer system that we see later on. And he's inside, like, the computers, and we see his face on the screen and that sort of stuff. So they, they give him some bit of homage there to his his robotic form but it's not as exciting there's this uh interesting little clip from one of the early comics that uh i just want to read about him it says somewhere in the swiss alps stands a laboratory stronghold of one of the most gifted and accomplished geneticists the human race has ever produced artem zola zola is a bizarre little man who served adolf hitler during the second world war chief among his accomplishments in the life sciences is a method to preserve consciousness upon death. Thumbs up who he is. Awesome. Well, Steve, thanks again for, for telling us that story. Next issue, we can do a little reading list for interested folks. Absolutely. So let's talk about the main Zola cards. That is him, the villain, and his main schemes. Well, go ahead, Steve. Take it away. You're the villain. Zola 1 is a unique villain. With two scheme, one attack. He's Android and Hydra. He has Retaliate 1. The quote, my mutate program will transform these pathetic creatures into Hydra's elite shock troops. And he starts with 12 hit points per player. Not too exciting. So it's version 2. He's a two scheme, two attack. He still has Retaliate 1. His hit points go up to 14 per player. And he has the ability, when revealed, search the encounter deck and discard pile for the test subject's side scheme and reveal it. Shuffle the encounter deck. Good, good. Love it. Yep, yep. So his third version, his stats go up to a three scheme to attack. He keeps the retaliate. He has 16 hit points per player. And he has the ability when revealed, each player searches the encounter deck and discard pile for a minion and reveals it. Shuffle the encounter deck. Hmm. So thematically, Steve, how do you justify retaliate? I'm not sure how you can justify the retaliate. Um, I guess, I mean, he has different robotic parts. Maybe he's using his mind ray to lash back at you if you hit him. Maybe the material his robot body is made of is so tough that it hurts when you punch him. I can see that. Not really sure on that. Retaliate. 
the other abilities make sense to me. Yeah. Uh, right. Go get a scheme. Go get a minion. That's what he's doing. Um, and and I like that his scheme is higher than his attack stats. Typically, like he's more yeah. of a schemer than an attacker, uh, and that seems true. I seem to recall that when revealed, going off on Zola three and us not being able to pull all the enough minions out of the deck because we had them all in play. They're all out. <laughs> yeah. That's on our live stream. <laughs> that's bad. That's bad. Yeah, that is bad. Hey, we still won. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, what do you think of him, Steve? Do you, do you like do you like this villain in the game? Yeah, I think he fits thema- perfectly thematically, like where he is in the campaign as the fourth villain. Um, working for Red Skull makes perfect sense because you always see him uh, working with Red Skull mm-hmm. um, or Hydra. He's not typically like he's not getting his own airtime in the in the books. Uh, he's always kind of a side guy, except for that original origin story. Um, now there's a lot of reading for him. And I didn't read every single thing, so m- maybe I missed somewhere. It's just him. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that I think it's nice where he's at. And then as we go, we'll see his encounter set and his schemes and stuff really play into who Zola is um, as a villain. So Sweet. why don't we look at his main schemes? Daniel, why don't you give us the first one? Sure. So the main scheme, the island of Dr. Zola. Hey, there's no flavor text on this 1A. Is that common that the card 1A and B don't have flavor text? Or is it just because 1B has got a lot? I think there's too much text on it. <laughs> too much text, all right. So, so when you're playing at home, make up a nice story about the island of Dr. Zola. Something, you know, that makes sense with the game. Like, Dr. Zola is on an island where he makes oh, I want to know what that lightning's doing. Oh, it's making mutates. It's the card art there, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you look, Zola's... That's Zola in the art, and he's taller than that three-story building in that bell tower. Yeah. He's humongous in that. So that's a pretty powerful Zola. All right. Anyway, main scheme. Content Zola 1, Zola 2, uh, Zola and standard encounter sets. One modular encounter set. They say under attack. Um, a setup. Search the encounter deck for Hydra Prison and reveal it. Each player searches the encounter deck for a copy of Ultimate Bio Servant and puts it into play, engage them, shuffle the encounter deck. So the main scheme has a uh, threshold of six per player, um, starts with zero, and goes up by one per player during uh, villain phase one. Step one. The good old days, eh? The good old days, right? So, But there's a forced response to this one. After resolving step one of the villain phase, place one test counter here. Then if there are three or more, discard cards from the top of the encounter deck until a minion is discarded. Put it into play, engage the first player, and remove three test counters from the scheme. Mm. Mm. I like the I like these the the clocks that get that you know these side schemes generate or these main schemes rather generate. Seems to be kind of a thing now. Yeah, so it's guaranteed to not trigger more than once. But it also doesn't right. completely clear. It just removes three. Right, right. So, well, what's this prison that we're talking about when you set up this game? Okay. Mike, why don't you tell us about the prison? And maybe, Steve, you can tell us about Test Subjects, which comes out when uh, it's it comes out when you play with Villain 2, Zola 2. All right. Hydra Prison side scheme. When revealed, each player searches their deck, discard pile, and hand for a hero-specific ally and places it face down beneath this scheme. 
place X threat on this scheme, where X is the total cost of all allies beneath it. Each player shuffles their deck. When defeated, remove this scheme from the game and return each ally beneath it to its owner's hand. And it begins with one threat. Okay. Pro tip, if you draw your hero-specific ally in your opening hand, mulligan it away. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Yeah. <laughs> if you then draw it during your mulligan, sorry. Yeah, so in the story, uh, which you get from reading the book, right? there's flavor text in the book. We get the comic and the, the little story that goes along with it. Your guys have been captured by Taskmaster, right? And thrown thrown into the prison that, you know, hauled off to Zola. And uh, they end up under there. It's interesting. In the Rocket and Groot, they don't have a hero-specific ally right? Rocket has a basic version of Groot, and Groot has a basic version of Rocket? Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so there is no hero specific. So this doesn't do much of anything if you're playing those guys. That's funny. Wow. Well, I guess that's why it starts with one. It still doesn't do anything. It just sits there doing nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you had a four-player game, the other two guys are in there, but... <laughs> that's funny. Well, let's talk about the test subjects, Steve, that come out with Villain 2. Test subjects. All right. Sounds like a fate worse than death. Oh, sounds it hazardous. is. It is a fate worse than death. This side scheme, test subjects, uh, it has, when defeated, the first player discards cards from the top of the encounter deck until they discard a minion. Reveal that minion. It has a hazard icon, two threat per player, two boost icons, and there are two of these in the deck. Okay, this reminds me of our game again. Uh, what happens when you have every minion on the table? <laughs> Yeah, you, you smash open the test tubes and nothing comes out. Yep, and yeah. you get an acceleration token when you defeat it. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I like the theme here, right? Like, especially with the art. If you do get rid of the ha that hazard, which, you know, hazards aren't great, you got to go dig for a minion because you just let something out of its cage. So that's pretty yeah. cool. That's what you get for saving it. Yeah, yeah it's going to attack uh, you. Well, let's say... Things aren't going so well, and sadly, the main scheme 1B, it triggers, goes off, and we go to 2A. What is it, Mike? You go to see the Mad Doctor. <laughs> Zola's mutates attack you with blind obedience and savage fury. It is up to you to put an end to this nightmare before the Mad Doctor unleashes them upon the world. When revealed, each player searches the encounter deck and discard pile for a minion and reveals it. Shuffle the encounter deck. Sensing a theme here. <laughs> and in 2B, forced response. After revolving ste resolving step one of the villain phase, place one test counter here. It's the same thing. It's, the, it's exactly the same shtick with the test counters. It starts with one threat per player and goes up by one threat per player per turn. And if this scheme is completed, the players lose the game. And what's our threshold, Mike? Eight. Eight per player. Mm. So all totaled, kind of in the middle for threat. Not particularly low, but not particularly high. Yeah. I think that's fair. And it's putting minions out, so if you do flip, you know, maybe there's more scheme getting put out because there's some extra minions out that are also scheming. I like the whole, the more time you give him, the more things he sends against you. I, I like that. Yeah. He's just sitting in his fortress, sending out his goons. And we'll meet those goons next week. But until then, Mike, where can the good people find us? Hey, do you have any flavor text for the island of Dr. Zola? 
Perhaps it has something <laughs> to do with the Doughboy. You can email us at criticalencounterspod at gmail.com. We are Critical Encounters on Facebook. You can find our YouTube channel by searching for Critical Encounters Podcast. And on Discord, we are Vardane, Big Foam Loaf, The Truth, and Wandering Tube. If you like our show, tell your friends. If you don't like our show, tell your enemies. Zola, take us out. My mutate program will transform these pathetic creatures into hydrocinate shock troops.